Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, political bombshell. Neither the current nor the previous attorney general uh, was ever directed by me or by anyone in my office uh, to uh, take a, a decision uh, in this matter. Explosive allegations of political interference in a criminal trial by the prime minister's office. A careful denial. But did the Prime Minister's office really pressure the former Justice Minister to help a huge Quebec company avoid a criminal trial? Is that why the Justice Minister was demoted? And should there now be an independent investigation? We've got full coverage today. First, the new Justice Minister, David Lametti, joins us. Then MPs are here to debate what should happen. And later, the man who broke the story, the Globe and Mail's Bob Fife, joins us. And so does the former NDP leader, Tom Mulcair. Plus, carbon tax recession? Is there any evidence that a carbon tax would actually cause a recession? The Premier of New Brunswick says yes, and he joins us today to defend that position. All that plus mystery illness. The Government of Canada's foremost concern uh, is the health and safety of our diplomats and their families. A group of diplomats are suing the federal government over an unexplained health issue they experienced while on duty in Cuba. Were their complaints really ignored? This is question period. Let's go get some answers. Conservatives on the Justice Committee, along with the NDP, will force an emergency meeting next week to consider a motion calling on nine high-ranking government officials to testify on this matter. If the Prime Minister has nothing to hide, as he has suggested, then he should have no reason to fear these individuals appearing before the Justice Committee. The Conservatives are calling for an emergency investigation into allegations published in the Globe and Mail that the Prime Minister's office pressured the then Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould to intervene in a criminal investigation into the business dealings of the Quebec construction giant SNC-Lavalin. Now, the PMO allegedly wanted Wilson-Raybould to make some kind of deal. SNC-Lavalin would admit to wrongdoing in its bribery and fraud case relating to its business dealings in Libya, and then it would pay a fine. It's called a remediation agreement but it would also allow them to avoid a criminal trial. The Prime Minister has carefully denied, quote, directing the Justice Minister to do anything. So did the Prime Minister's office try in any way to pressure Jody Wilson-Raybould to politically intervene in a judicial process? Is that why she was fired as the Justice Minister and moved to Veterans Affairs? Was the Prime Minister's office trying to protect the Quebec company? The current Attorney General and Justice Minister J David Lametti joins us now in studio. Good to see you, sir. Good morning. And congratulations on the new post. Thank you very much. That's a pretty hot file right now. Did the Prime Minister in any way try to pressure the former Justice Minister to intervene in this case? Prime Minister's been pretty clear, Evan, that uh, he did not. Uh, he, has said that, he has said that publicly uh, in the press. I repeated what he said in the House of Commons. He's done nothing, in a, he's done nothing that is inappropriate uh, under the circumstances. Okay, but... No but direction and no pressure. No direction and no pressure. Well, that, he, has said, he has said he gave her no direction. Uh, and but no pressure is different because right. this is a legal... The criticism is he said, I didn't give a direct... I didn't direct her to do anything. That's right. very different. Right. The Globe published that she felt that the Prime Minister's office was pressured. Now you're saying there was no pressure. Is well, that my, my Look, I'll, I can talk about what, what has happened with me, and there has been no pressure, uh, and there has been no direction. Did anyone in the Prime Minister's office communicate to Jody Wilson-Raybould about this case, yes or no? I can't. Uh, I can only tell you what the Prime Minister said. 
and okay. uh, and he, and and he has said as he has repeated and I can reassure Canadians based on what the prime minister said that nothing uh, nothing inappropriate happened but Gerald Butts the principal secretary of the prime minister did speak to her in December she was demoted in January um, what did he say to her then? I, I can't. I wasn't privy to that conversation. Then if you don't know, how can you come on and say, as you said publicly, both in the House of Commons and here, how can you say with any degree of certainty that there was no pressure put on her if you don't know? Who told you there was no pressure? The, the Prime Minister has said publicly, and I'm, and I'm, basing, uh, I'm basing... The Prime Minister said that, there, that, uh, that the allegations contained in the Globe and Mail article were false. Uh, the Prime Minister has said that he did not direct uh, my predecessor, so I'm basing, it to, I'm basing it on what he has said publicly. You're a justice minister. Is, it, is that what he said he didn't direct? Is he skating using legal language around the idea that there's pressure, that there's room? He may have pressured her in other ways, the Prime Minister's office. Are you 100% confident? that there was no pressure in any way, shape, or form? I can't, look, I can't speak to a relationship uh, that I wasn't privy to, uh, that's clear. But what I, can, what I can repeat to you and to Canadians is what the Prime Minister has said. Okay, um, why won't your former colleague, Jody Wilson-Raybould, just, if there was no pressure, it wouldn't break attorney-client privilege, if there's no pressure, she could have come out and said, I can tell you, I never felt pressure from the Prime Minister's office. She's never said that, her silence is telling, why not? Again, I can't. I can't speak for my predecessor on this uh, on this matter. Uh, I, well, I can what, only. What does it tell you? I can. I can. I have complete confidence in the prime minister on this matter, uh, and and I certainly feel that he has been reassuring publicly. Uh, and I'll repeat what he has said. I, but I wasn't privy to those conversations, sir, so I can't go further. But sir, you're, you're, I know you're a member of cabinet, but your confidence in the prime minister. And this moment, you may have to recuse yourself and act solely as the Attorney General. I read you what Jody Wilson-Raybould wrote when she was demoted. She said, uh, quote, I, th your job that you're in now has to be, quote, free from even the perception of political interference. If now there is the perception even that there was political interference, are you now obliged to call for an investigation as the Attorney General? No, I mean, as the Attorney General, uh, you are still a member of cabinet, you still sit around the cabinet table, and you still take in all relevant information. But at the moment you make a decision as attorney general, uh, you, may, you use only the appropriate criteria to make that decision. And, and I will do that. Uh, that but don't is, you feel, should you recuse yourself, there's discussions now about allegations that the prime minister's office pressured a justice minister. Should you now, to preserve the perception that this is an independent, no political interference, should you recuse yourself from cabinet discussions about this now? No, no I, there, hasn't, there hasn't been any reason uh, to recuse myself in any discussions that I have been privy to up until now. Would you support an emergency investigation on the Judicial Committee to talk about this and investigate who knew what when, who said what when? I'll let, uh, I'll let the committee decide. The committee is master of its own docket. But certainly from what I have seen and what the Prime Minister has said, I can, I can reassure Canadians that there has been nothing inappropriate that has happened. But to be fair, you're only reassuring based on the Prime Minister's word. The entire story hinges on if that's true. Right. Why would you as the Justice Minister take the Prime Minister's word and not want an investigation to preserve the independence of the system? Again, all we've heard are allegations uh, in a newspaper. The Prime Minister has said that these allegations are false. Uh, we haven't had any right. corroborating evidence there. Um, there, hasn't, uh, there hasn't been anything to my mind uh, that, that 
justifies uh, committee investigation. Nothing, but, nothing but the committee, would you but be the open, committee, would you be uh, open committee to an investigation? Do, it's up to the committee to do what it wants to do. Have you spoken to Jody Wilson-Raybould, the former uh, justice minister, and just asked her straight out, did you ever feel pressured? If she did, you would have to, I would say you'd be obliged to call an investigation. Have you picked up the phone and called her? I have, I have had a number of different conversations uh, with the minister about, about her record, about, about moving forward and, and advancing a number of things that she had begun. Uh, but I'm, I'm not going to, uh, well, I haven't had a discussion on this matter. Uh, and frankly, I'm not sure it would be, it would be, it would be uh, something that I would do. And if it well, was... Why not? I'm just afraid. Why, well, why would you just pick I, up? Did you feel pressure by the Prime Minister's office? That would be important in your job. If she says, you know what? I did, that would be a really important admission. If she says no, you would have full confidence to say, I trust the Prime Minister. So why don't you pick up the phone? I have my job to do as Minister of Justice and Attorney General. I will do that job as a, as a responsible member uh, of cabinet, but also wearing those hats, I will take those responsibilities very seriously to protect the rule of law. Um, the repercussions of this could be serious, as you know. Um, if there indeed is the perception or the allegation of political interference in this case, does that undermine the credibility of the government on other cases, specifically the Meng Wanzhou case, the uh, Huawei executive that's being detained in Vancouver? Our government has said there's no political interference in the judicial process. Now there's allegations that that actually happened. Does this undermine the credibility, for example, in the eyes of the Chinese? two very different cases. Uh, we have an extradition treaty with the United States and we have a process that's been in place for a number of years in Canada uh, that is a, a judicial process to respect those obligations uh, to our, our extradition treaty partners, if you will, and to protect the due process rights of, of any person that's been uh, accused and detained. Uh, We'll continue, uh, we'll continue to follow that process. I will not intervene. I won't pronounce on that process at all because it's before the courts. Um, Eventually and, you and will, though, right? Just so people understand, there is a moment where it may land on your desk. So, so is China right that eventually there is a political element to this, that you look at the evidence and then you can make a decision both legally but also politically? Do you use political factors to determine whether or not this woman could be extradited. I'm going to leave it to the courts for now. That's where it's properly, uh, that's where it's properly discussed and debated. Uh, Ms. Meng has counsel in Canada. Uh, she, is, she is adequately defended. Um, and we'll wait and see how that court process proceeds. All right, I've got to leave it there. Minister of Justice, David Lemay, I really appreciate you joining Thank us this you morning. Very much. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, coming up, more questions. Did the Prime Minister's office attempt to interfere in a fraud case against the Quebec construction company? Should there be an emergency investigation as the opposition's calling for? MPs are up next to debate the fallout of all this. Stay right here with Question Period. Did anyone in the Prime Minister's office at any time communicate with anyone in the former Attorney General's office on the matter of the criminal prosecution of FNC Lavalin, yes or no? These allegations are false. So that's the question that opposition MPs want answered after Globe and Mail report that alleges the Prime Minister's office pressured the former Attorney General to make a deal with the Quebec construction giant 
SNC-Lavala. According to the allegations in the Globe, Jody Wilson-Raybould refused to intervene to prevent a trial on fraud and corruption charges that the company is facing. Was the Prime Minister's office actually trying to make a deal with them? Why was this obstruction or not? The Prime Minister denies all this. Let's bring in MPs to find out where this is all going. Uh, with me in studio, Ontario Liberal MP Marco Mendocino. Coming to us from Toronto is Conservative Deputy Leader Lisa Raitt. And also with us in Ottawa is the NDP's Nathan Cullen. Good to see all of you. Uh, thanks for being here. I want to start with you, Lisa Raitt. We just spoke to the Justice Minister, uh, David Lametti. Why are opposition members calling for an emergency investigation into this? This is a fundamental issue for Canadian justice. It is the question of whether or not there has been political interference in the prosecution of a criminal case. And it doesn't get more serious than this. Allegations have been made, and we would very much like the Parliamentary Committee to interview the people involved to ensure that justice is being protected in this case and that there isn't this bleeding over of political interference into what is happening in public prosecutions. Okay, Nathan Cullen, you've also, your party has now written to the Conflict of Interest and Ethics Commissioner, Mario Dion. You're demanding an investigation. Why, do you, why have you done that? Well, because until we get answers, we need to try every tool in the toolbox to try to pull those answers out of government. The, the allegations that appeared in that Globe and Mail article were incredibly serious, as Lisa mentioned as the, the former Liberal Attorney General in Ontario mentioned, that uh, obstruction of justice charges have been brought against Canadians with far less evidence than we already have here, that that crossing over of helping out a well-heeled multinational company that, incidentally, illegally contributed more than $100,000 to the Liberals, lobbied for changes to the criminal code, got those changes, and then wanted this, as you know the case well, wanted this little plea deal to happen on the side so they could continue to bid on incredibly lucrative government contracts. If they had found, were found guilty of corruption and bribery charges in court, they're banned for 10 years. And so the Ethics Commissioner has a, uh, a role to play in this because under Article 7 of that Act, the Conflict of Interest Act d denies or bans public office holders from using their influence to preferentially help anybody. And no preferential treatment. That's right. And so SNC-Lavalin, who's lobbied the Liberals 50 times in the last 18 months, and particularly the Prime Minister's office, on criminal and justice issues. I don't know why a construction company is talking to the PMO about crime and justice so much, except for the fact that they were in court facing incredibly serious charges and, and uh, crimes of corruption and bribery. All right, so uh, the Justice Minister, Marco Mendocino, was on, and he said he believes the Prime Minister's denial. I don't know how he knows that. How, do, how should Canadians know that there was no pressure put on Jody Wilson-Raybould when she has refused to say anything publicly and deny it? Well, the Prime Minister has taken a position of integrity, and that uh, position has been articulated very clearly. Uh, there was no direction. There was no influence. You can insert whatever words you want uh, into that well, sentence. Well, let's insert the words. And I'm sorry. Just, so I'm I, but let me, let me just okay. complete the thought, because I think it's important that your viewers understand that the Prime Minister is somebody that respects fundamentally the office of the Attorney General. He respects the independence of the judiciary. He respects the independence of the Public Prosecution Service of Canada. And our, all of our work to date in government speaks to that. You said... Any, pick any word you want. I think the words are important. The Prime Minister specifically said he didn't direct her. So did he, did anyone in that office put any 
pressure, or did they ever try to influence the former justice minister not to have a criminal trial? Yes or no? That distinction was collapsed yesterday during question period, and I believe it reflects the position of the prime minister. And with regards to the openness and the transparency with which deferred prosecution agreements have come into public discourse, this is, this is a tool which has been advocated for by nonpartisan experts for quite some time, long before we were elected in 2015. And it's a tool which I can tell you, as a former federal prosecutor, can be exercised uh, in accordance with a set of uh, uh, criteria which are applied. Okay, so this will keep us both competitive and it will also ensure that we're not unnecessarily utilizing scarce judicial resources. Okay. Uh, Lisa Ray, uh, please weigh in on that. He said pick any word you want. There was no pressure, no influence, no direction. Well, he really should refresh himself then on the obligations of the Attorney General of Canada versus her cabinet colleagues. And it is very, very clear. And you can check it out, Marco, in that desk uh, book that you receive when you become a crown. And I know you were a crown at one point in time as well. And it says in there very clearly that the Attorney General should not have any pressure put on her in making her decision. And furthermore, she can't even be told what her decision should be. So we want the witnesses to come in and explain to us exactly what happened. Clearly there were conversations because it's not like nothing was happening. Where there's smoke, there's fire. We want the witnesses to tell us. And I certainly hope, Marco, that your colleagues will vote in favor of our motion next week when this, we meet. This is and the I opportunity. don't know if they will. Right, so Marco's, and I like Marco, and he's, he's talking about integrity and the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister was very, very specific in using only one word. We didn't direct. The question, the question remains, because Jody Wilson-Raybould has stayed silent, has not talked about whether she was pressured, asked, and all, this, all those dots line up and point to a picture. And everybody sees the picture, except Liberals, and say it's just a bunch of dots. That if this change in the criminal code was asked for by SNC-Lavalin, which we believe it was, that they would, this change to the code would help them out enormously. We're talking billions of dollars in contract for a company that is denied being able to bid on other contracts in other countries. And that the Prime Minister's office was talking to Jody Wilson-Raybould, and you remember her letter. Her letter where she said it's important to speak truth to power, and it is important, incredibly important for the Attorney General's office to be free from political interference. We all wondered at the time, wh why would, well, I've I, never I, seen a letter can like I, it. Can I just and, say and, that? I'll well, quote the letter. It's please. not just free from political interference. The even former, the she said, free from even the perception of political right. Which is what all, we have. And high. I don't know why Liberals won't... Okay, here's the moment of truth. Will Liberals join with us to say... Because they believe there's nothing here. And if that's true, well yeah. then let's bring the people forward who were involved to say, I'm, I'll swear on oath uh, in front of you all that nothing of this happened. And then we move yeah, on. No meeting. And, but if they deny yeah. it, if they refuse these investigations, if they don't cooperate, then they look as guilty as they do in question period, not answering the question. Marco Menacino, straight question. Up. Why wouldn't you support when an investigation? Come, well, when it comes to the committee, obviously that decision will be taken independently by the members of that committee. And that speaks to the value that we place on independence. It runs through not only our respect for the work of members who serve on committee, committees, and I would point out several instances where committees have called witnesses, and in each and every instance, um, this is a government that has supported transparency and accountability. And with respect to well, uh, Minister you? Wilson, well, this, when I mean, it comes not, to you're Wilson... Not, you're not going to tell the committee what to do, but do you we're support not going to tell the committee. So why don't you just tell us what you... Would so you support a committee? I will not preempt the decision of the members who serve on that committee, because indeed, that would be impinging on their independence. But I will say that Minister Wilson-Raybould also spoke about the pride of the work that she did as Justice Minister and her ongoing commitment to do okay. good work on behalf of our veterans. All right, I got to leave it there. There's lots more to come. Marco Mendocino, Lisa Raitt, Nathan Cullen. I appreciate that. I don't think the story's going away. But coming up, another big story. Will a carbon tax 
really cause a recession. The Premier of New Brunswick says it will. He joins us next to defend that position. Stay right here with Question Period. So New Brunswick and Ontario are striking up an alliance against the carbon tax. New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs says he agrees with Premier Doug Ford that a price on carbon will lead to a recession, despite financial analysis saying otherwise. So why are the provinces turning against the tax, and how does the Premier justify his claim? Let's find out. Joining us now is the Premier of New Brunswick, Blaine Higgs. Uh, Premier, great to have you on the program from beautiful Fredericton. Can you tell us what evidence you have that a carbon tax, and I know the government's going to impose one on New Brunswick, will cause a recession. Well, the, the concern is where does it where is the tipping point? I mean, we have uh, we're going to get about twelve hundred dollars more tax to to individuals in in the province, and and at the, at this point, with our businesses, we're disadvantaged in New Brunswick, unlike any other province. We have a softwood lumber agreement. We're paying twenty percent duty to companies. So, at what point do do we go over the edge here? And so one more, one more tax on the people of the province is one more too many. So at some point you have to say there has to be a better way. And we are meeting our mission standards, and we will meet our mission standards. We just don't need a tax to do that. All right. Uh, you know the government says you won't under the old system meet. But, but they have our, let's just focus on the carbon tax. The, you met with Prime Minister Trudeau in the past week. They are saying, look, there's a rebate from the federal government. So people in New Brunswick, people in Ontario, the places that are going to be Saskatchewan who are going to get this carbon tax, they are not going to feel the pain. They are going to get a rebate to offset that. What do you say to that? Yeah, well, I don't agree with that. I understand that they're, they're going to have a rebate again just in time for the election. I asked the question very clearly. What's your total revenue gain versus your total payout? I didn't get an answer. But I have been told by accountants that it's about a four to one difference. So that's not a full refund. And if it was a full refund, you'd ask, what's the point anyway? Why well, go through this circle of revenue to Ottawa and back? Okay, well, there's two points. One, they say over 90% of it's going to go back, so they disagree with you on that. And what they do say is there's still an incentive. This is their logic. We'll give a rebate so the average person doesn't feel the pain, but then they can make behavioral changes based on the increased things like the price of gas and other things, and then you could save more money. Change your behavior, get the rebate back, and you can control how much money you save. That is their logic on that. Why don't you buy that? Yeah, so 90% of what? 90% of the, of the price at the pump? So the point is, it isn't 90% of the total revenue that's coming in from other sources, and primarily through business and industry that's going to be also paying this and putting us in an uncompetitive position with, with other uh, municipalities, other provinces, and, and certainly other uh, jurisdictions that we compete with. So my concern is that we are being disadvantaged with our industry. They're talking about 90% rebate on a gas tax only, not on the whole implementation of the carbon tax. So it's, it's kind of a smoke and mirrors game that's being played by the federal government. All right. Well, they say 80% of households are going to get that. But let me, let me just, you say it's going to cause an economic recession. Even the um, Conference Board of Canada doesn't say that. It's going to have a, they say, a small impact. But just, just riddle me this because I'm trying to figure this out. British Columbia put in a carbon tax and a carbon price in 2008, one of the fastest growing economies in the country. Quebec's had a price on carbon since 2013. Uh, they were growing. Ontario had a price on carbon until uh, 2016. They're, they're growing. California, the United Kingdom, they've had prices of carbon. They're growing. Where can you point me any place that put a price on carbon that actually caused a recession? I frankly don't see it. 
So you don't you say Ontario's growing. Uh, look at the financial state in Ontario, uh, and 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 you claim it's growing. If you look at the exceptions that that other provinces have had, most the ones that have been given exemptions through the carbon tax process. Quebec has many in their industry. The new car LNG plant in BC is an exemption to the process. We don't have those exemptions in in New Brunswick. And if you look at industries here. You look at the state they're in environmentally, we're starting from a whole different point of view. I don't have five coal plants to close. If our refinery here, and I know that business, was sitting in, in Saskatchewan or Newfoundland, it would be getting a credit on yeah. its performance, not being hit harder on a tax. All right. Uh, what, do you, what would you like? I know you're an intervener in the court case, Premier. What would you like to see? We're in an election year. What would, if the courts don't rule in your favor, I know you hope they do, but if they don't, what will you do? Well, look, I've said that I don't believe New Brunswickers should pay any more, and that means in, in all aspects, not be through a hidden process and fees that, that come out of commodity pricing in a different way. But my goal is to fight that, working with Saskatchewan, working with Ontario, and if, if we are successful, there won't be any increase in pricing. I mean, you can look at some of the other provinces, and they've increased pricing on the one hand to reflect the carbon pricing, and then reduced it provincially on the other. So it's, kind of, it's, a, it's a smoke and mirror game that's being played here with, with different provinces. Do, so I'm hitting it straight on. We don't need more tax, and that's the goal. Last question. Do you think that in the Maritimes in New Brunswick, that if there is a carbon tax, there'll be a political blowback on Justin Trudeau in the coming election? I do indeed. You do indeed. All right. I've got to leave it there. Uh, Premier Higgs, great to have you on the program, sir. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Nice to be here. Coming up, should there be an emergency investigation into the allegations of political interference in a massive criminal case? What's the political fallout for the Prime Minister? The scrum is here. We've got two special guests today. The former NDP leader, Tom Mulcair, and the man who broke the story, the Global Mail reporter, Bob Fife. How does he respond to the Prime Minister's claim that the story is false? We find out next. Stay right here with Question Period. You know, it's all too common to stick the word gate at the end of any political controversy. Watergate, Shawinigate, Duffygate. But the allegations in the Globe and Mail that the Prime Minister's office allegedly put pressure on the then Attorney General, Jody Wilson-Raybould, to intervene in a criminal investigation into the business dealings of SNC-Lavalin, the Quebec construction giant, may well prove to be gate-worthy. SNC-gate? Or maybe not. The Prime Minister denies that his office tried to direct Jody Wilson-Raybould to do anything. And Conservatives are now calling for an emergency investigation into these allegations. What could all this mean for the government? What questions do they still need to answer? The scrum is here. The guy that broke the story with his team, Bob Fife, the Ottawa Bureau Chief from the Globe and Mail, is here. Joyce Napier, CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief, is here. Craig Oliver, CTV's Chief Political Commentator, is here. And today's guest is the former NDP leader and CTV Political Commentator, Tom Mulcair. Well, good morning to everyone, Bob. I've got to start with you. And I've got to start with the Prime Minister calling the story false, which was pretty strong language. What's your response? He said that there was no... He never directed, or his office never directed, Jody Wilson-Raybould to do anything. That's right. The Prime Minister called false what we never reported. He said that he never directed Jody Wilson-Raybould to inter intervene in the uh, case of uh, SNC-Lavalin, but we never reported that. What we reported was that the Prime Minister's office had exerted and attempted to influence her or pressure her to ask the Director of Public Prosecutions to do a remediation agreement, which is basically a plea agreement with SNC-Lavalin. 
which she declined to do. So when the Prime Minister came out, he was also speaking, it was a legalistic language which they had given us the night before we did this story, and he kept repeating that all day when reporters went after him. Well, what about any influence? So what what about pressure? About? Well, it tells us that the Prime Minister is sticking to a legalistic line and won't answer the questions about whether his office actually exerted any kind of influence and pressure on the, the justice, on the then Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould, who, by the way, has still not commented on this. Right. Uh, let's bring in Tom Mulcair. Boy, I remember when you were in the House uh, grilling Stephen Harper about something. Uh, what questions do you have on all this, Tom? These types of deferred prosecution agreements are an institution of American law. The Liberals brought it in in a Harper-era omnibus bill, tucked inside a budget bill, bringing in this institution in Canada, and everybody suspected it had to do with SNC-Lavalin. Don't forget, if they lose their ability to bid on international contracts, that big engineering company could be really in trouble. So there was clear interest in getting that type of institution brought into Canada, let them off the hook have that type of sweetheart deal, which essentially leaves things in abeyance as long as they're good, and they can still continue to bid on international contracts. That's what the heart of this issue is. And I agree with Bob Fife. I've been at this game long enough to know that when somebody keeps insisting that they didn't give a directive to do something, they're playing with words. This was cut out by a lawyer with a scalpel and say, keep repeating that you didn't give a directive. Well, that wasn't the question, as Bob so correctly put it. And now the Prime Minister, I think, is in the most hot water he's been in since the beginning of this mandate. The most hot water. Joyce, what, what has this said about you? Because there's a lot of questions here. Well, you know, it's the typical non-denial denial, right? You're not quite sure what the Prime Minister is saying. And you know what? We still, there's still many dots to be connected here. And I totally agree with you. The only person that can connect those dots is not talking and the more she keeps her silence the worse it gets for the government but this situation is not viable for her right it's not viable to have somebody in cabinet that is is now against the cabinet that is now against the government because the more she stays silent the more it is clear that there is something here and it's not viable so is she going to leave they can't fire her where is this going to go right craig you've been watching this one unfold how seismic is this story? What questions do you have about it? Well, I think for any cabinet, any prime minister uh, to put his thumb on the scales of justice and whatever that may mean, uh, what they've said about uh, the rule of law, uh, for, that, for any cabinet to interfere with a criminal prosecution for political purposes in interests they see as their own, can bring a government down. I mean, and it's a violation of conflict of interest guidelines. It's a violation of all kinds of things. And this investigation now is not going to go away easily. The opposition parties are demanding to have committees. The government's going to look bad saying no. This government kind of needs some kind of political, uh, uh, political and double indemnity. They're already in trouble over the firing of the admiral. Uh, and the court Roman. case, yeah, and the court case that's going to come up about that, perhaps during the election campaign, and this one will last, I think, well into the campaign. You know why they're so angry at her too? Because uh, I spoke to one senior liberal, very well connected, also well connected to SNC Lavalin. She, they're saying that she knew she was part of the cabinet which brought in this uh, deferred prosecution bill, which everybody on the Parliament Hill called the SNC law. And she knew that this was coming in, and this was the intention of them to do that. 
And then when the prime minister's people went to her and said, we've got to do this remediation agreement, they blew her off. In fact, one person told me, she said, if you want me to do that, you get the prime minister to call me and ask him to do that. I think her position in cabinet is intolerable. Yes. She's the person who could put this whole issue on ice by going but public. But she's not. Uh, and no, but she's not. Okay, and and so saying it's not true. Everybody remember, around not the only table. Should, but remember this. I was here when John Turner, finance minister, disagreed with his government and quit and just quietly left. Joyce, and I think it, I think she should quit. We are all around this table waiting for the thump of the heads that are going to roll because heads roll after things like this. So whose head is going to roll? Who will be the sacrificial lamb? Because somebody has got to go. Tom Mulcair. In a very unusual move, Jody Wilson-Raybould put out a letter after she was demoted 30 rungs on the ladder to <laughs> Veterans Affairs, and she congratulated herself for her mandate, and she went to very specific language about political interference in criminal prosecutions, that you have to speak truth to power, that we have to have the rule of law, which means that the law has to apply equally to everyone. Imagine being a prosecutor, Evan. You've worked hard. You've worked with the police. You've built up a strong case. You've got a clear case of white-collar crime, and you find out, you know what, if you're rich, and well-connected, you can get off the hook. This is repeat behavior from the Liberals. They did it in the case of Air Canada, which under the law was required to keep its heavy maintenance in Winnipeg, Mississauga, and Montreal. They had not been respecting that law. Retroactively and retrospectively, they changed the law for Air Canada. They had every intention of doing the same thing for SNC-Lavalin. Now there's a big circle around the stain, and all Canadians can Just see it. Just a couple things. Jody Wilson-Raybould has released some kind of statement saying she's bound by solicitor-client privilege in this matter to explain <laughs> why she's not commenting, although she could simply say, without breaking any client privilege, I never felt pressure. She hasn't said that. And Tom was right, uh, Bob. When Jody Wilson-Raybould was demoted to Veterans Affairs, and no disrespect to veterans, but in cabinet, it's seen right. as a demotion. She did write, for some, whatever reason, it's a pillar of our democracy that the system of justice be free from even the perception of political interference. So let me ask you, if there's a perception now, should the government support the opposition's call for an investigation? Well, yes. The opposition our parties are saying, let's call Gerald Butts, the principal secretary, the chief of staff, Katie... Um, Telford. Telford, sorry. Uh, Matthew Bouchard, who's a senior uh, uh, policy advisor in Mr. Trudeau's office, who, by the way, met 12 times with SNC lobbyists, as did uh, Mr. Butts, also met with SNC lobbyists. Call him before the committee, along with Ms. Uh, Wilson Rabo, and find out what the hell went down here. But do you think the Liberals are going to do that? I wouldn't put any money on it. If Wilson Rabo has a principled difference with the cabinet of which she is a member over resign. an important matter she should resign yeah. and tell us why she's resigning and that should happen here but the, the different thing is she didn't do it she could have resigned if they forced her to do it she didn't, she do, didn't it. do it that's the thing she, she did the right thing she showed she showed steely determination yeah. all you have to do is go back to the tape of her being sworn in as veterans affairs minister she looked furious she knew what was going on but i think that what's playing out now is her way of saying this is what happened. I don't know what part she's played in getting it out, but certainly there are clear, there are clear indications that people are willing to talk about what happened, and that's why the Prime hey, Minister's Joyce. office is digging in. Another person that should be uh, interviewed in that committee is Mr. Warnicke, the head of the Privy Council yeah. office, because Dang I on. suspect he's yeah, got a lot totally. to say as well. Yeah, uh, interesting. And, Joyce. and you know what, what, what is also interesting is this will not mm -hmm. only have domestic repercussions, right? This is the government that has told us the rule of law, the rule of law <laughs> during the whole Huawei 
chief uh, financial officer's arrest, the fact that she's detained in, in, uh, in Vancouver, and this is why the, the international community, the credibility of Canada, they have built up this you know, rule of law image so high and so mighty, and it will fall flat on its face well, if it is indeed, if we can connect these dots, if we find out that they have tipped the scales of justice, this will completely well, change look, a Joyce, whole, look, a whole international the, the conversation. Mark Norman case. Absolutely. I mean, the That's same another thing. One. They're denying the court documents yes. that they absolutely need to be able to, so Nor uh, Mark Norman can defend himself. They're hiding documents yes. from the court. Yeah. Okay, uh, last they're playing I, yeah. games to hide those documents as well. Okay, last word. Tom Walker, you're not a politician anymore, <laughs> so to our benefit, I don't know. But if you were there now, I just did the raw politics, the, the, the opposition's called for this inquiry. If you were there, what would you do right now? I'd be holding the inquiry in the House of Commons every day at question period because they can't skip out on that. The Prime Minister can skip out on one out of two, and if he keeps giving those rote, prepared answers written by the lawyers of the Liberal Party of Canada, everybody will be able to interpret it. By the way, the rule of law is that the, rule, is that the law applies equally to everyone. This is the animal farm rule of law that some people are more equal than others. That's what happens if you're rich and well-connected in Canada. Your buddies are going to try to get you off. That's what the public is going to see here. All right, uh, on that literary reference, i got to uh, take a break here. Uh, Bob Fife and Tom Mulcair, thanks so much for joining us on a massive story. Lots more to come on that. Coming up, of course, now that we are heading towards an election, political advertising is starting to heat up. Maybe this story becomes central to the election. We'll find out which party has a winning strategy. The Scrum returns with special guest Nick Nanos next. Lots to come. Stay right here with Question Period. This month, we'll be highlighting everything we've done and announcing new projects to create good middle-class jobs and build the infrastructure we need. So stay tuned, Canada. There's a lot more to come. They would go on to be questioned by the Ethics Commissioner for failing to disclose an entire French villa they owned, giving a $24 million fishing license to their own family members, and blowing $3,700 of taxpayers' money on a limousine ride from a campaign volunteer. So that's just a sample of what you can expect once the federal election kicks off this fall. I think it's already kicked off. The Conservatives are already on the attack, but have they gone too far already? The Liberals claim they'll continue to take a more positive approach, but have they already gone negative? Which approach is most likely to win voters? Let's bring in the scrum. Tony McCharles is here reporting with the Toronto Star. Joyce Napier, of course, and Craig Oliver are back. And our special guest this round is the CEO of Nanos Research, pollster Nick Nanos. All right, Con and Craig. And Everyone, welcome back. Uh, Nick, both sides have been attempting to brand the others as out-of-touch elitist, right? Uh, they've got Justin Trudeau saying, you know, low-income Canadians don't pay taxes and the Conservative pounce, and the Liberals are saying, you know, Andrew Scheer's been on the public dole basically after six months of work and in, and in subsidized housing. Does this stuff really work? The populist sickness that we've been seeing in other democracies is going to be coming to Canada big time. The liberals want to hold on to power and the conservatives want to snatch it away. It's going to be like retro hour of mudslinging. You know, that actually might turn off people. Sunny Ways? Was our, what, what's Sunny Ways? What, Sunny Ways? Oh, really? I, I, I don't think we're seeing throwing many Sunny shade. Ways. We're talking throwing yeah. shade. We're talking <laughs> lightning bolts, not Sunny well, Ways anymore. Well, Todd, is that it? Have we gone from Sunny Ways to throwing, throwing shade? shade? Yeah, I think that's what this is about. Um, and I think you're right. 
right. I think that some people will be turned off by, you know, a bit of the, the name calling and the mudslinging and you don't care about poor people, you don't care about poor people, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, but I think it'll find an audience and it's the repetition of a message and absolutely it's all about branding. They, and, and, and this isn't actually, these aren't new brands, they're just new lines. Yeah, you're right because there's always a fight. Uh, Joyce to to be the person who's in touch right and to paint the other person as an out-of-touch person yeah and I mean I think the strategy of the conservatives is to just get him out of the sunny ways because the sunny ways kind of worked people like optimism they like sunny ways there's nothing wrong with that it's like being with the angels but if you can poke them a little bit and get them angry then they become also bitter and angry and they can't accuse the conservatives of being that because that's the way they want to paint the conservatives as being the Stephen Harper bitter conservatives etc so if they're both bitter I'm not sure that the electorate will like that by the time the campaign begins I think this is going to be the most scrutinized statements in the history of Canadian politics in terms of the way reporters are going to respond and watch for fake news, false news, all of those things that we've, we've seen a result of in the United States. Uh, and I think that could be useful. I think we're going to see political baiting. You know, I think the conservatives want to bait, not the liberals, the prime minister personally in order to get him to try to lose his cool. Uh, let me talk about Canadian diplomats. I think this is a fascinating story, and Joyce, you were on it for CTV News, of course. Uh, Canadian diplomats who were stationed in Cuba are now suing the federal government for $28 million after a mysterious illness that left them with concussion-like symptoms. You know, even their kids, you know, bloody noses, headaches, dizziness. They claim, Joyce, that the government did not give them adequate warning of this. What does this story mean for the government? Well, what it means is these are, front, are the people that are the front line for the Canadian government. They go into harm's way. They go into danger zones. They understand, and we've, we've spoken to all of them. They understand that when they go into these places, they go into harm's way. But they also, it, it's sort of like a social contract with the government. You send us in, harm way, in harm's way, we agree to that, but you've got to tell us the truth. And the government and look after did them. and look after mm -hmm. us, and the government just did not. So it seems that there was um, a betrayal there of the government, and to this day they can't get the treatments that they need well, and that their children. And need. they don't I'm even know what by, it is. I, well, I'm struck also by the disconnect between the prime minister's and the foreign affairs minister's yes. words of heart, seemingly heartfelt concern for their workers, and the disconnect and the the lack the, the lack of action, the lag of action, uh, and really, I mean, we didn't. Did they overthink it? Really, why didn't they just follow the Americans the way they were dealing with their diplomats, which was first level you know, state-of-the-art care from the get-go. And the, and the Americans yeah. offered them uh, treatments for free and tests for free and proposed that to the Canadian government, said, bring your people where we're, our people are and we can do a study with all of these people that are affected because they're also two dozen Americans. So the government said no. Uh, Craig, raw politics of this one. Uh, well, it is raw politics, but I, I think that, uh, well, first, I think we all need to remember that the first person killed in Afghanistan was a diplomat. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that if uh, the government doesn't take this seriously, and if it's true, the kind of perhaps a uh, bit of hyperbole and the kind of charges these people are making as they go to court, but if they're true, uh, it's unforgivable, and I think the government's going to have to look clearly at who made what decisions and maybe fire some people or demote them. Uh, well, they've certainly gone from diplomats from cheering the Trudeau government to suing the Trudeau government. Uh, Nick, I want to go to a poll that you, that you had out. 
And then this is about the NDP, because they're facing a big by-election February 25th, not only for Jagmeet Singh, but in Quebec, where Tom Mulcair, who was just yes, on the panel, Uchuma. his former seat in Utrema. You have a poll saying that NDP support in Quebec is down to 11%. They are 16 NDP seats in Quebec. That's the biggest... Uh, array of seats in any province for them. What does that tell you about NDP support? Well, to put that into context, they're at 11 percent in the province of Quebec. They've been as high as 48 percent under Tom Mulcair going into the last election. This is, this is another orange crush, except it's in the completely opposite direction. This is bad news for the New Democrats. The other thing, when you look at the trend line, you know, the Conservatives are actually increasing support. So think of the block coming off. It's becoming Survivor Island in Quebec. It's kind of like Quebecers not voting for the block, not voting for the NDP. If I'm voting for the Liberals, I'm probably already there. Hey, maybe the Conservatives or the Green Party. Well, if all of the polling results together, some uh, see the NDP as low as 8%. And one of the intriguing things, one of the many ones about these polls, is that it looks like the Liberals are, as we all suspected, gaining from the NDP. But the other extraordinary matter is that Max uh, Sorry, is man. taking 10 to 12 percent, and that must be coming eventually right off the Tories, we all think. Except that I think for the Conservatives, the encouraging thing is if their number is as high as what you were saying around Over 20, 20, so yeah. their, most of their vote would be concentrated in francophone writings, whereas the Liberal vote in Quebec is often inefficient. It's on the island of Montreal, mm. those, you know, so, yeah. so yeah. I think that for the Conservatives, there's still some good news. And, and I just say one thing, critical coming up weeks for Jagmeet Singh, he's got to win his own by-election. Those numbers in Quebec don't look good. He was offside with his own party again on who to support in Venezuela. His party said one thing, he said another thing. Joyce... This guy's got to focus in. He's got some pretty critical weeks ahead of him. You know, I'm not sure if, if this is a Jag, the story of Jagmeet Singh is comic relief or a political tragedy. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of stuck between the two because you look at it and, and he never misses an opportunity to, 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 to not be there or to not respond properly or not to understand what his party is saying. He says one thing, they say another. And you want to tell them, you know, like send out a memo, people talk to each other and, 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 and just agree on, on, on one platform, on one policy. I was, I was surprised at the end of the week, Jagmeet Singh, who himself has a cr criminal law practice in his past, wasn't out leaping ahead on the allegations of political interference with the yeah. justice minister. Why? He wasn't the one mm -hmm. saying, if true, this is inappropriate. If true, the RCMP should be investigating. If true, go after the, that story. Instead, he came out and talked about, well, the ethics commissioner should look into it. Guess what? You know, there's some more serious allegations than and ethical breaches months. here. Yeah, but the ethics defense, commissioner. He's one person who's given him advice. I think that's what we all need he's to know because he's. The leaders are leaders for a reason. Yes, they should have smart people around them, but yeah, if they can't sure. make yeah. smart decisions on I their own, we're in trouble. His problem since the beginning is he misses the moment all the time. That's right. Well, our moment has just passed here. I want to thank everybody. Nick Nanos, Tonda McCharles, Joyce Napier, and Craig Oliver. Thanks so much. Great discussion. It's going to be a very busy week. Next week, even though the House is not sitting, politics is definitely on everybody's mind. Thank you for watching. We will be back here in seven short days.